Yesterday, I had a unique experience in running the original i6 Castle Ravenloft Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Adventure from 1983, using the rules from the new Shadow Dark RPG released by Arcane Library. And in this video, I'm going to talk about what it was like, how I prepared for the adventure, what it was like running the adventure, tips and tricks for how to do this, and how to do all of this in a single session for a kind of Halloween one-shot really fun Castle Ravenloft adventure. And we're going to dive into all of that today. This show, like all of the work I do on Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to tons of exclusive things like exclusive adventures, the City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a des dedicated Discord server, a monthly Q&A, and a whole lot more. One of the things that patrons get is access to the Shadow Dark Ravenloft Lazy GM Kit. This is a zip file that contains a number of different resources. I'm going to talk about them in the show and how I use them that help you run I6 Ravenloft using the Shadow Dark RPG rules. It's a it's a, a packet of handouts that you can use, a reference sheet, a one-page guide for your players, and other stuff like that. A bunch of pregens, 10 pre-generated characters that you can use to run your own Ravenloft Shadow Dark game. It worked great. So the big question is, hey, how did it work? Did, did, did Shadow Dark RPG work well running I6 Ravenloft? And the answer is absolutely. It worked better. I, oh, this is a bold statement. Are you ready for a bold statement? I think it worked better than running Curse of Strahd with D&D 5th Edition. Because up front, the philosophy that Shadow Dark holds for its role-playing game fits the same philosophy that... AD&D had back in the 80s. So I feel like the original feeling and intent and drive and pace of I6 Ravenloft back in 1983 fits the same kind of intent and pacing that the Shadow Dark RPG has. That's why I was excited to run it. It felt like these two things are going to fit very well together. And they really did. When I ran it, they, they fit extremely well together. Now, I used the original I-6 Ravenloft adventure. This is the 1983 adventure. You could use Curse of Strahd. If you have Curse of Strahd and you don't have this, you could certainly strip down Curse of Strahd to, to, to this. But one of the things that I thought it was fun about it is that because this is written for AD&D and it is very much an old school adv adventure and using a old school feeling new sensibilities new mechanic sensibilities RPG like Shadow Dark with it felt like that was going to fit really well and it and it really did I'm also very lucky that I have an, an original 1983 version my wife's copy of the original I6 Ravenloft that I could use physically at the table uh, I did play in person so I've run Shadow Dark I've, I'm sorry I've run Ravenloft Numerous times, more than a dozen times, including third, fourth, fifth edition, now Shadow Dark. I think I've run it with other systems too. And I run it almost every year. I think I've only missed like one or two years out of the last 10 or 12. So I run Ravenloft a lot. And I've ran it as multiple campaigns when we ran through the full campaign. So I've run it a whole bunch of times. And I really felt like the original I6 grasps that that idea of running it in a single session so we're going to talk about what it was like what you need to do to do that and all that stuff one of the things that's really important is drive through rpg is selling i6 ravenloft right now for three bucks the normal price is five bucks it's a steal at either at either price you can get a color version a standard color version for eight dollars and fifty cents plus shipping you can get both together for nine dollars and seventy cents i think it's really worth it if you play online you can work with just the pdf if you play in person it's nice to have a physical copy that you can use at your table so depending on how you play can really make a difference now i played in person for my game 
yesterday, but I have played online the past few years when during COVID and everything like that, I was playing online. So only recently did we return to playing in person. Now I've written, I wrote up an article draft yesterday. I want to get all my head around this topic. So I wrote a article that I'm going to put on Sly Flourish someday. It may be very soon. It may be not until next year when it'll be better timed to land with Halloween. But I wanted to get all my experiences kind of in a document right after I had done it so that I could remember all of the things that we had done. So I'm going to walk through that document here in this video to kind of cover all the main topics. But my number one point is that this works really well. Combining i6 Ravenloft with Shadow Dark RPG runs really, really well. And it required very little modification, very few changes to the style. It was a really excellent match. And talking to all of the players afterwards, all of them agreed that for a one-shot game, this was fantastic and that it would be a, it's a really good way to run it. There's definitely frustration. There's certain little frustrations here and there. Little areas where I had like tricks on how to run it, which is mostly just based on Ravenloft is really complicated to run. But then other, other areas where like it really hurts to roll three checks on three spells and fail every one of them and you lose all three actions and you lose all three spells and they were all your best spells in the final battle, that can suck too. So, so definitely a string of bad luck can, can, can certainly hurt the feels for, for this game. So it is a perfect fit. So let me go through my, my experiences from running this. Like what are the main, now the main point, it worked really well. Secondary points are what are some of my experiences running this? So I used fifth level characters. I thought fifth level characters looking at what Shadow Dark was like. Shadow Dark is a one to 10 game, zero to 10 game. But the weird bit is the power curve of the characters in Shadow Dark is pretty much on par through like fifth level, maybe even seventh level. The minute... The minute you get into the highest levels of Shadow Dark is where it's like the final three levels of Shadow Dark. Shadow Dark kind of covers the final 12 levels in a 20 level D&D game. In other words, the, the, the power progression is not even. And fifth level characters are pretty much like fifth level characters are in D&D. And I thought that that was about right. I wanted characters to have access to things like Lightning Bolt and Fireball, have a little bit more hit points to them. And I thought that that would work well. So I used the excellent website Shadow Darklings. Shadow Darklings is now uh, an official character generator for you can go in, you can make a character, you can turn on and off what features you have. I did a, a random first level character. I did best fit, which means it picks the class that fits your stats. You generate it, you get Flug, Flugnik, the god goblin wizard and you can uh, I, I just went right with these stats and then you know picked all of the same stuff that it had here i just i didn't even worry about this and you know in 16 for their for their for their intelligence and then you can advance them up and level them so i went bang to two this is a little tedious I mean, it's not too hard but it, it'd be nice if it had a button that just automatically did it and now they're fifth level and then you say roll for the hit points spells learned i didn't i I didn't bother i just they, they got whatever spells they got so i didn't worry talent i generated randomly more hit points talent and plus one spell casting and i guess that with the wizard I, I with the wizard i did pick certain spells so i was like oh okay well we'll pick burning hands we'll pick misty step sounds good we'll pick invisibility that that looks good and fifth level we'll go with like lightning bolt or fireball and then you can export the pdf i went with highly legible and you get a, a a pdf download let me let me open the and you get a nice pregen 
right? It's got their hit points, it hit 16 hit points, AC 10, has equipment. I don't know if it equipped stuff. So like if they had armor, I don't know that it equipped armor. The nice thing is it has the spell listing, including the descriptions of the spells that are in the character sheet, which means you can print this thing out. Sometimes it has extra pages, but you can print it out and hand it to your player and they have everything they need in order to run that character. So that worked very, very well for, for pre-gen, for our pre-gen characters. I generated 10 such characters early. I printed them all out so we were ready to go. When the players showed up, I think I rolled to see which player got it and then started handing out the characters and they were happy to go with what they had. As the game progressed, as characters died, and oh boy, did they die. We lost five characters out of 10. So as they died, they would just pick the next one off the stack and replace it and say, oh, this was another adventure who got lost here in the castle before and they showed up. Really easy to bring in a new character. Be like, they were hiding in the shadows this whole time. They have no memories of how they got here, but they remember terrible things. And then sometimes we'd say like, oh, and you remember that the, how terrible this was before after it had occurred. So it was really fun. So I generated 10 free gens for five players. We, every one of them was used. We had a lot of deaths. New characters would pop in as lost adventurers. I'd recommend not bringing in new characters for the final battle. I think if, you, if you're bringing in new characters during a fight or during certainly the final fight, you could just keep doing that until he's dead. Another option is you could say you only have 10 characters total and you guys lose if all 10 characters die. You could do that too. I think the way I would do it is just keep generating characters until the final battle with Strahd. And then in that final battle with Strahd, whoever dies is dead and they don't get a new character because that now you're in the game. If you say like you only get 10 and you die, well, people could die for a lot of stupid reasons. And there was definitely some, some not stupid deaths. It was actually really epic deaths. But a lot of people died. And to say like, well, the game's over after an hour and a half because everyone died didn't seem like a great way to go they definitely want to acquire magic items. One thing is a lot of the creatures that you fight in here are immune to non-magical attacks or silvered attacks. I might, I, I think going back, I would have been a little nicer and I might've had some characters roll to get maybe one or two silvered weapons. You wouldn't want to give it to everybody, but you'd want to give like one or two silvered weapons out there and then say like, and in the castle are other magical weapons you could go to try to pick up so that you have a chance of fighting these guys. I might tell them that like, they know that they're not going to be able to hit Strahd or other vampires or wraiths. And there's a lot of like incorporeal creatures that cannot be damaged by non-magical weapons. Now, if they have priests and wizards, the priests and wizards have spells that they can cast to, to, to make weapons magical, which would make them work. So that's fine too. And that's what we did. And they still succeeded, but it's kind of lame when you're fighting Strahd and you have all your spells are gone and your weapons are not magical and you have nothing you can do. That, that's kind of lame. So I use my abbreviated Ravenloft adventure, how to run Ravenloft in one session. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. How do you run Ravenloft in a single session? It's guaranteed to fit in one session. I'll tell you exactly how to do that. And I did it and it worked really well. We used old school mapping. So I did not have any kind of map that I put out on the table. Instead, I asked one of the players to keep to, to map things out. And we did a fair bit of description on where stairwells were, where the hallways were. And I had my 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 wet erase, dry erase mat in front of me. This is a, a piezo flip mat that I have in front of me with a big acrylic sheet. And on that, I would draw like the current room and then I could erase it or I could draw around it. So I wasn't drawing it in any kind of big order, but the player who was keeping the mapping was drawing them out in different order. And that worked really well. And that was kind of like, how did you play this back in the day? You would draw it, right? You didn't have big projectors. You didn't have a big monitor and you could do it. And of course you could do all that, but it was kind of fun to do it the old ways. We kept talking about, you know, I said like, we're going to do this the old ways. And one one of my players says, is the old ways means looking up the map on Google. And I was like, no, that is not one of the old ways. And so, but, but that idea of drawing out room by room and or hallway and say, this is what the hallway looks like. These are the doors. Like, oh, okay. And then he could draw that in his map. And then I could erase it when the next map came up. That worked, that worked really well. We got through a lot of chambers. One of the people 
on, on, on Twitch here asked, like, how long did it take? We got through a lot of material very quickly. That, first of all, the pl players recognized that they would be in a very bad state fighting a lot of the creatures that they face. At one point, they were going to fight seven Strahd zombies because I rolled seven Strahd zombies. And that would have been really hard to, f to fight that many zombies. And so they barricaded the door and ran, which is a Shattered Ark thing to do. Like, hey, you don't fight everything that comes barreling through the door. At one spot, there was a hallway that had wraiths in it, two wraiths. And they knew that wraiths are going to be draining the life out of them, literally. So they avoided the wraiths, but then later realized they had to go through that hall in order to get to the place they needed to get to. They were literally one room away from a room they needed to get to. And they had to go back through the race. And one of the characters said, I'm just going to run in there and sacrifice myself to the race so that everybody else can make it through. And I said, that, that will, we'll do that. And so we did that. So, but we got through a lot of material, many, many rooms. I didn't count them all. I should, I could ask my friend how many rooms, how many rooms we did, but it was like dozens of rooms and a big chunk of Ravenloft, a big, big chunk. Now, the, and the other fun thing about running Ravenloft every year is I've run this like 12, 14 times or something like that. And still I'm running into new rooms I've never seen before. There was new chambers that the characters discovered that I had not discovered because they took a completely different path than the last group that I ran typically takes. So that worked really well. And, and I mentioned that they already ran for a lot of characters. Now, one of the important bits was the player, one of my players, two of my players had played Shadow Dark before. One of them had played a zero level, a zero level gauntlet, Shadow Dark gauntlet. And another player both has run, have, is playing in a campaign that I am running that in Shadow Dark that's been 10 or 12 sessions and played in the zero level one and has run it a couple of times for other people. And so she knew Shadow Dark very well. But everyone else never had played Shadow Dark. All of them had played 5th edition, though. So the big question was, how do I describe Shadow Dark to new 5th edition players? I think this could be a useful guide if you are planning to talk about Shadow Dark for your 5th edition players. And so these are the kind of the core things that I wanted people to get across as being the main differences between how Shadow Dark plays compared to how... Uh, typical 5th edition plays. The first thing is that the core mechanic is the same. You roll a d20, you add a modifier, you try to beat a DC. Whether you're doing a saving throw, whether you're attacking somebody's AC, whether you're doing like a ability check, you roll a d20, add a modifier, see if you beat the DC. So that, that means that it's very much the same. The, the, the core six attributes are the same. Strength, strength dex, con, int, whiz, charisma, those are, are the same and have the same modifiers to them. However, Shadow Dark embraces randomness. Die rolls matter a lot. The, the roll on a die has a ton of weight to it. And ability scores are 3d6 down the line, which means almost the entire game is random because you're going to choose classes based on what ability scores you got that were really high. Same way when you generate a pregen. You saw me do the pregen thing. You saw me do it where it's like best fit, which means it picks the class that best fits the ability scores that you roll. That means like from the top down, everything is random. Number of hit points are random. Your attack rolls are random. The amount of damage you do is random. And because modifiers are used far less often, it means the value of the die is significantly is far more significant than it is in fifth edition or other games where you're doing a die plus a modifier and sometimes a modifier can be pretty high so a lot more lot more randomness characters have far fewer hit points in 5e but so do the monsters so all the math is flat as it relates to uh, Ravenloft, because Ravenloft is using Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, first edition AD, hit points are very low then too, which means if you look at the monster hit points that are listed in Ravenloft for things like skeletons or zombies or witches or whatever, those hit points actually match the hit point levels that you would expect for Shadow Dark, which meant there was very little conversion for a monster. You pretty much only needed to figure out their armor class and their attack bonus. And because those aren't things, those were first edition, you had negative 
descending armor class and you had Thacko and you had big tables that you looked up. We're not doing that. So instead you had to like pick, figure out an attack bonus for a creature and figure out an armor class for a creature. I have something that I'm going to show that helps with that. But when I actually ran it, I didn't need to worry about it. I just, I knew, I just chose an armor class. I could, I could look at what their armor class was and say, oh, they had high AC or low AC and then switch it. And attack bonus was like usually between like two and four. Really straightforward. Uh, there are no spell slots. You don't have a number of spells that you can cast. You don't memorize spells and then have so many memorizations that you can burn. Instead, you roll an ability check to see if the spell succeeds. If it fails, you lose the spell. If it succeeds, the spell is cast and the effect happens actually kind of replaces saving throws. So instead of casting a spell and the creature you cast it on gets a saving throw, you roll to see whether it succeeds. And if it succeeds, it just succeeds. So burning hands, for example, when you cast it, it does the damage. You don't roll a saving throw for all those that were caught inside of it. They just take the damage. They wouldn't take the damage if the spell was fizzled, basically. So this is, again, very swingy. You could lose your best spell. You could have lightning bolt, poor Mizgit. We had Mizgit was the final character that joined in the game, cast three big spells, failed all three checks and lost her three best spells right off the bat. So it, it can hurt. But also we had another player who was using Cure Wounds, must have rolled 10 or 12 times and landed it every time and healed the whole party for a ton of hit points. So it really worked. One major factor with Shadow Dark is the focus on torches and lighting. This matters a lot in for Ravenloft. Equipment slots mattered a little bit less. It mattered with like how much you could carry and, and certainly you wanted to keep track of it. Rations really didn't matter because there was no way you were going to be able to rest in Ravenloft anyway. There was no rest. I made that clear. But torches matter and darkness matters. And you want to have torches lit. Torches take one real world hour of time. So you keep a timer to say, is the torch up and running? When the torch runs out, all the monsters get deadlier. The likelihood of a random encounter increases. Lots of things can be dangerous. And that really fit Shattered, or that really fit Ravenloft. That really made sense for how Ravenloft runs. Being this big haunt castle that's all dark really really worked so i like i like that very much and my little house rule for this one of my players who has run it before had this as a kind of general house rule which i think works which is players aren't allowed to set a timer i know it's a little it's a little iffy but the idea that a player can't pull out their phone and set a timer for like 55 minutes and that way they know when the timer is going to run out. It's far more fun when they have to remember that they need to relight the torch and that they want to do it early because I have another house rule, which is if it's completely dark, it is a DC 12 dexterity or intelligence check to get out your torch and your, and your, your flint and steel and light a new torch. You can't because it's pitch black and it's high stress. And so... If you have another lighting source, you can just do it and it's done. But if you're doing it in the dark, you're fumbling around a bit. It's harder to find the stuff in your pack. It's all this stuff. So I made a check for it, which adds a lot of tension when the darkness falls, which means they really want to get their torches lit. Having torches that weren't lit really didn't come up except right in the beginning of the game when the characters went through and it was all very well lit and they went inside and Strahd's playing his organ and they said, we're not going to go to Strahd. We don't, we, we're not, we don't want to see him. We're just going to go straight through those double doors. And as soon as they touched the double doors all the torches went out and everything went dark and Strahd's voice said well I guess the game is afoot and they're like oh my god he's coming and then I explained that Strahd is hunting them down and everything else I'll get that in a minute but that then they had to like light the torches and I'm rolling random encounters to say like is something going to attack them while they're in the dark and luckily for them nothing attacked them in the dark but I did mention oh there's things out there in the dark that are getting ready 
So that really mattered. You're always in turn order. So we went around the table. Turn order works really well in Shadow Dark in person. It's a little clunkier online because you don't have a table that you can go around in a clockwise manner. But we did have everybody at a table and we went around a clockwise manner. We would roll a new initiative when a creature came up. And the funny bit is my wife was on my right hand side. I was the GM. My wife was on my right hand side. And every time she rolled high, everybody would groan because it meant she got to attack and then the monsters went right afterwards. And they were always hoping like it should always be the person on my left who gets the highest and that way everybody gets a turn before the monsters go so that was kind of a funny thing they're like who got initiative meant how soon are the monsters going to attack and and the further to the the further clockwise the person got that got the highest initiative the sooner the monsters would go which is kind of interesting so those that that's kind of how shadow dark worked it took very little explanation to get them running and all of them were like yeah it, it, it was very intuitive running the game was very intuitive very easy for them to pick up very easy to learn we spent very little time fumbling around with the rules it was very straightforward so i mentioned that i run my version of ravenloft in a single session for my kind of halloween ravenloft game so how how did i do that i'm going to explain that i've, I've done a video about this before i have an article on Sly Flourish where I talked about doing it with 5th edition but just to reiterate how I did it for this one I thought I would cover it in this one so one of them is I run it in a single session a session is scheduled for 5 hours so I, I, I invite people over it's usually 12 to 5 on like a Saturday and the, it gives us the first hour to get acclimated with the system get food talk to each other laugh introduce each other because I usually bring different people to my table so you know everybody gets to meet everybody else and then we get to start and that way there's plenty of time for the adventure itself then the game begins begins right with the carriage roaring towards the castle we skip everything beforehand there's no wolves in the woods there's no time in the town of barovia nothing like that you're on a carriage you're roaring that picture in the lower right corner that's what's going on you are roaring in a carriage towards castle ravenloft in your hand is a letter from strad it's actually in my in my handouts so this handout by the way again available to patrons of Flares. you can get it from that lazy gm Ravenloft Shadow Dark kit that's available on your rewards. This is one of the handouts, which is a thing that says it's your invitation to go and talk to Strahd and with his little seal on it. And you can take that letter and you can and you're in the carriage, you're already going. So you're not asking, hey, do you want to go? No, you already got in the carriage, you're already there. You know, all out, you're you're just roaring for it. Real good, strong start, getting you right into the adventure. Let's not waste any time monkeying around ahead of time. The carriage is racing and then well what about the 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 reading what about the card reading so a big feature one of the things that makes i6 ravenloft so great is that the goals of the characters change every time you play it and it changes because of what they call the fortunes of ravenloft if you're familiar with curse of strad it's in there too it's a two-page spread in the original book and you essentially draw five cards uh you use playing cards and it talks about how to use playing cards that you take a 50 two card deck remove certain cards from it and the cards that remain are the ones that you use to tell the fortune i actually use tarot cards i have some cool very beautiful tarot cards and i took the tarot cards out and i kind of monkeyed with the tarot cards to get just the set of cards that i needed to do the fortunes of ravenloft i replaced like stars with diamond diamonds with stars cups with hearts wands with clubs and swords with spades so that was how i switched it over and then i pulled the cards and that worked really cool because these beautiful cards that i used with these beautiful artwork that i could then do to fortune which felt very authentic to the way that ravenloft runs so you do your fortune ravenloft the idea that you do is while they're in the carriage they are all in the carriage all the characters are in the carriage and madame eva is in the carriage too and she's got this cool black robes she has a 
mask of glyphed coins. I got that right out of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mask of glyphed coins. You can't see her face. She's laughing. And, and she's playing the cards out and going through the fortunes. The fortunes of Ravenloft in I6 Ravenloft work better for a one-shot game than the Curse of Strahd one does because the Curse of Strahd one could put items all over Barovia where we want all of our stuff to just be in the castle. This one is focused on things being just in the castle. So this fortunes of Ravenloft from the original I6 works better than one from Curse of Strahd. And you pick them. Where are, they, where, where are these items going to be? Where Where's the sun sword? Where is the tome of Strahd? Where is the holy symbol of Ravenkind? Where does Strahd hang out? And what is Strahd's motivation? And all of that stuff worked very well for the game. This is a five cards that you draw. You choose, you choose what's going to be where and everything, everything worked out really nicely. And you do it right there in the carriage. So while they're racing towards Ravenloft, you get the fortune, they write it down. They know, oh, okay, these are all these weird rooms we have to go to. And then they're kicked out of the carriage, the carriage rides off, and they're standing in front of Ravenloft. Now, one thing that I don't remember being in the original, in, in Curse of Strahd, but I was like, oh, that'll be fun to do it here, is, right, this is, there, there's, there's the carriage racing towards Ravenloft. And right off the bat, you get to the gates of Ravenloft, right? And you, you, pa- you start here, right in area J on page 11. After passing the craggy piece of Balanox, the road takes a turn. Talks about that you're left off by the, the carriage, the rotting bridge and everything like that. And then you get to the drawbridge. Drawbridge creaks and groans under any weight, but is relatively sturdy. Each time anyone except Strahd crosses the drawbridge, there's a 5% chance of a board breaking. If a crossboard breaks, the character must make a dex check or fall to the bottom of the cliff. So right when they're walking across, I would say, do you cross this? Yeah, I would roll a D20. And if it wasn't a one, they made it across. And the fourth character in line rolled a one. And I said, oh, no, it breaks into your foot. You try to catch yourself. Roll a dex check, DC 12. And they roll and goes, I got a six. I go, you plummet a thousand feet to your death. The player's like, I just got my character and I'm already dead. And I go, here's the new one, right? And so on the other side, they met, ah, a guy cowered in the shadows like, all of my other friends were killed in there and I'm the only one left. And so they made their way in. But we had a character death right in the beginning, which was, which was very funny. So, and that started it off. Now the characters in this game chose to skip talking to Strahd. They, I don't even know if they knew they could talk to Strahd. They just skipped talking to Strahd and went straight through. And the funny bit is Strahd's location was the main altar. If we go to the maps, by the way, you're going to want to print these maps out as a reference. Uh, if you don't have a printout, because it's a complicated section. So right here, this is map three is the main floor. They went through the main doors by K7, went into K8, skipped going to K9 and K10, which is where you typically go. Instead went straight, straight to K14 and then K15, and there's Strahd. They walk in, they see the icon of the, the icon of the Raven or whatever it is. I forget what it's called. But there's a powerful magic item that's right there with a dead guy lying there because if you're evil and you touch it, you die. And they go in there and Strahd starts attacking them. He like laughs and he's like, wow, I guess you didn't want to listen to my organ music. And I'm mad about that. And, and they realized like the whole campaign was basically Strahd being mad that they didn't go listen to his nice organ music and that he's hunting them to kill them because they didn't listen to organ music, which is really fun. They uh, went in there and Strahd just started eating them up, just flying around. He killed one character. They, oh my God, they're running around. They ran up a stairwell. They're running now. They're lost in the castle. It was perfect. Just perfect. Like how, how that all worked out. And then facing Strahd right in the beginning was really, was really, really, was really fun and really interesting. So that is how I ran. And then, and oh, so important point. As soon as the game starts, as soon as they're in there, as soon as they've had their conversation with Strahd or not, or as soon as they go anywhere else, they, I said, okay, the timer is set. And Strahd says, in X amount of time, I'm coming for you. You can wander around my castle all you want, but I'm going to come for you at this moment. And that moment is 45 minutes before the end of the game. 
So in this case, I said, Strahd is coming at 4.15, at 4.15 p.m. And I set an alarm and I said, Strahd takes out his iPhone and says, Siri, set an alarm for 4.15 p.m., right? And they're like, oh my God. So now they've got this timer. They know they have about three-ish hours, three, three and a half, no, yeah, four-ish hours, four-ish hours to get as far as they can in Castle Ravenloft to get as many magic items as they can. So when they fight Strahd, it'll be an easier fight. And usually they can only get one, maybe two items. They usually don't get all three. In this case, they went straight to Strahd and they had a really powerful magic item and they realized it was powerful later. And they're like, should we go back there and get it? And they're like, he's still going to be there. What do we do? So the fact that Strahd was, was covering that magic item is a really, was really a, a big change. And then at 4.15, he shows up. And wherever they are, anywhere in Castle Ravenloft, Strahd shows up and they have their final battle with Strahd. What that guarantees is your session is not going to last longer than that amount of time, and it will be done. Either they're going to TPK or they're going to beat him. I'd say about nine times out of 10, they managed to beat him. But I'm also a soft DM. I want them to beat him. And then the game is done. So that's how you run in one session is you know that Strahd is going to show up at a very particular time. It gives you 45 minutes for that end of the fight and a little bit of conclusion. 45 minutes was plenty of time. It was still a really big fight, many rounds. But 45 minutes was enough time for them to fight Strahd, deal with him, and then in our game, they, they beat him. Now, the other timer you have to keep track of, though, is the torch timer. So you have two different timers going. One is for when Strahd is going to show up and one is for the torch timer. But that was how to run it all in one session. So a big question was, how much modification was required to get i6 Ravenloft to work with the Shadow Dark RPG? And the answer is hardly any. The math of AD&D works really closely to the math of that if you look at some of the monster stats. So for example, if you look at some of the monster stats and you can see like, you know, giant spiders, you know, hit dice four plus four, one attack, two to eight damage with a bite of poisonous, that, that almost works perfectly. The amount of damage that they do and their amount of hit dice that they have is almost exactly the amount of hit dice and damage that monsters have in Shadow Dark. Now, a lot of the monsters, you can just go and pull the Shadow, the Shadow Dark version of the monster. You can go, you know, giant spider. I don't need to use any of the stats for giant spider. We have giant spiders in Shadow Dark. We just use that. But like one example is what about Strahd zombies? So Strahd zombies are like big, powerful zombies, bigger, normal, bigger than powerful zombies. And what I, I thought there was a few ways I could do it. One is I could use the stat block that exists for the Strahd zombie in Ravenloft, just changing the armor class and attack bonus. And then pretty much everything else works the same. And that could work. The other one was just take the normal zombie stat block, double its hit points and double the amount of, da- of, of, of attacks that it has. And now it's a Strahd zombie. Strahd zombie attacks twice and has more hit points, but everything else is the same. That worked really well too. So really the, the answer is reskinning is the best way. Use the monsters that exist in Shadow Doctor, replace the ones that are in here, maybe reskin a monster here and there when you need to reskin a monster. The vampire spawn, for example, works very well for the vampires that aren't Strahd. The vampire stat block worked very well for Strahd himself. When I, when I use Strahd, I just use the regular Shadow Dark so the, the regular Shadow Dark Vampire stat block, which is a level 11. Level 11 is really hard for fifth level characters. And I can tell you, this vampire is brutal. And he's brutal in, in one way that I, I, I ended up modifying it. And I think there's actually a slightly better way to modify it to make it a little bit more fair. Because it is it hits really, really hard. So AC 15, 52 hit points, not a big deal. Three bite attacks plus seven to hit. That's a lot of bite attacks. It does a D8 plus blood drain. That's the real key. Or he can do a charm. Now, I charmed one of the characters. This is one thing I did. I had him charm one of the characters, but then not do anything with them until later on when and the final battle and the sun sword that they managed to acquire one of the characters died who had the sun sword and somebody said go run and get the sun sword and her character ran up to get the sun sword and as soon as she picked it up Strahd looked at her and says throw it over the edge and she's like 
N- no. And I'm like, you remember when you were charmed way back? And she goes, oh, yeah. I was like, throw it over there. She goes, okay. And she threw it over the edge. One of the other characters tried to grab it and failed. And the sun sword went plummeting 2,000 feet below. And they lost the sun sword halfway through the fight. They'd already hit him really hard with it twice. The sun sword hits really hard. And you can use the sun sword directly from My6 Ravenloft, which is a plus three weapon against undead and does an extra 10 damage to vampires. It really hits vampires hard. And you kind of need it because one of the things is the blood drain for the vampire, the blood drain for the vampire, the vampire stat block in, in Shadow Dark, heals the vampire 2d6 hit points, averages seven hit points. If a vampire hits with all three, they could regenerate 21 hit points, almost half their hit points back every round. That is a ton of healing. Now, if, they, if he's getting hit with a sun sword, that makes a difference. The marker, I'm trying to remember if there's anything about, about sunlight that hurt a vampire, but there isn't really. So that was a lot of healing. I would have changed that to 1d6 hit points per attack. I think that that feels more fair. Or you could say that the target loses 1d4 con and the vampire gets that in hit points. So that would be a little lower on the regen. Because the problem is that when you, especially at fifth level, and the fact that he can only be hit by magical sources means that if the characters don't have a lot of magical sources, the amount of damage they have to do to make any impact at all to him is it has to be higher than 21-ish, right? Which is too much. So uh, you, you, can, you can toy around. Turns out the dials for monster difficulty that we use for 5e work just as well for Shadow Dark. And you can make this a little bit easier by saying it's 1d6 hit points instead of 2d6. What I ended up doing was he only got to do the regen once per round. Nobody even noticed that he was only regening hit points. And even then they're like, wow, he's still getting back seven. He got 10 hit points back. and like, oh my God, 10. It took us a whole round to do 10 damage to him. So that was really, really hard. Kelsey, I talked to some folks in the Shadow Dark Discord about this. Kelsey was there and she's like, yeah, vampires. She made vampires really hard because of how easy vampires were in fifth edition. I was like, well, right on with that. You know, that was that was a good plan. And you succeeded because holy cow, they're super dangerous. So this vampire was was super, super dangerous. But that worked. That worked really, really well. I might throw a couple of silvered weapons there. I might throw some, like maybe if they wander around, you're going to want to give the characters some way that they can do damage to these incorporeal monsters because there's so many of them. And if you start them at fifth level with no magic items at all, you know, they could have a really bad day when they come to fighting vampires or fighting anything else. There's one relic in Ravenloft. All of the magic items in Curse of Strahd itself worked just fine, except for one of them. And the funny thing is that same item also is, is, doesn't work well in the 5th edition version either. I've had to modify it there too. So the three magic items that they're going for are the Holy Symbol of Ravenkind, the Tome of Strahd, and the Sun Sword. And the Sun Sword is, is a really great one. It's plus two sword. It works. It's plus three versus undead. And when it hits vampires, it does an additional 10 points of damage. That's really great. And the, you could have it like if they do damage with the Sun Sword, then the vampire can't heal. But then it might be too much, right? They can't regen the damage. And 10 extra damage is really a lot of damage. It's the equivalent of 3d6 extra damage. Hits really, really hard. Tomastrad doesn't really do anything at all. I think I would, one thing that I had done with the Tomastrad in my other versions of Ravenloft is that if you destroyed the Tomastrad, it meant that Strahd himself could not regenerate. It was the equivalent of destroying him in his coffin. If you kill him and the Tome of Strahd, it meant you could destroy him. I thought that that was kind of a fun way to say, hey, the Tome matters. Because otherwise, the Tome doesn't really do anything. One thing the characters did, though, is they read stuff in the Tome, and then they found, like, figurines of, of Strahd's brother, Sergei, 
and Tatiana and use those to like make fun of him and they would give them advantage on attacks or give him disadvantage on their attacks or things like that. So there were ways that they could use the information they had found in the Toma Strahd to infuriate Strahd, which would give them advantage because he was freaking out. So that's another way that you could do it that worked really well. But the magic item that really had the, the problem was the holy symbol of Ravenkind. Holy symbol shaped like the sum of large crystal around the crystal of any holy symbol, blah, 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 blah. When presented forcefully towards undead creature, the mythology adds plus two to the character's turn on dead roll. When presented against vampires, however, it flares with the light uh, of the sun for 1d10 rounds. Remember, vampires are destroyed by exposure to direct sunlight for 10 rounds. Vampires cannot move or attack while the medallion flares. Other creatures are not are not be affected. Look at that typo. Uh, 40 year old typo. Other creatures are not to be affected by the medallion. The medallion can only be used once per week. Doesn't matter how long it can be used if you're only in a single session. And the idea that vampires cannot move or attack means you could just sit there and hold it and the guy dies. That would suck. That's a lame way to beat Strahd. So to me, more interesting would be that it flares with sunlight. It's, it removes any issue of darkness and either grants, maybe Strahd is at disadvantage on attacks while within the area of it and cannot get his regen. That would actually be pretty good. You can sort of use it to directly remove some of the abilities he have. Maybe he cannot charm, he cannot regen, and he has disadvantage on attacks. Would be a good one for that. That would help. So, so you want to make some changes to the Holy Symbol of Ravenkind. Otherwise, it's just going to be it's just going to be lame. It's not going to work. So again, I mentioned some things that I have in a kit for patrons. I have a Lazy GM Shadow Dark Ravenloft kit that I put together. These are some things that I wanted to use that helped me. One of them was this Shadow Dark Ravenloft reference sheet. So this is one page. You can print it out. Whether you're playing online or in person, this is useful. And it has markers. Again, it's got a bunch. I think I put 12 down here because you're going to have some dead characters. And the player, the, who's, what's the character's name? What's the player's name? What race class? What background? And best stats. The best stats is just a way to like what are the what are those characters best at and if somebody's good at wisdom you might use the fact that they're good at wisdom for them to reveal something a little bit like handling passive checks just something i like to use to keep an eye on it this is really important when you do your card reading which card did they pull and what location and prompt did that did that require so that way you know where the things are because if you don't write it down you're going to forget the players are writing it down but they don't know the exact room it's in you know the exact room so you want to say the holy symbol you drew this particular card that is in location k16 or whatever k29 and and what the room is and that way you remember which items are in which parts of the room really important or what strad's goal is or where strad himself is right these are the different things that you want to write down in this particular area so that you can keep track of it so this chart was something that kiwi for barbecue came up with in the discord server i, I asked them if it was okay if i included in this reference sheet they said yes absolutely share more information they put together I, so i asked this question i was like when i'm doing monster conversions it'd be really nice if i had a quick table just like we have in forge of foes only for shadow dark that says hey here's the level of the monster and here's some baseline statistics. Now, obviously, these are general statistics. The individual monsters should change these statistics in particular ways. But there are some tricky bits, like there isn't a linear, a linear comparison of attack bonus to level. You don't really know exactly what the attack bonus should be. If you look at monsters in Shadow Dark, there isn't a like nice even curve of what the attack bonus is for for level. This little table, which Kiwi for Barbecue put together from the Shadow Dark Discord server, has level zero to level eight. So not all the levels doesn't go all the way up. But you really don't need anything higher than eight anyway. Because like you're just going to use direct stat blocks for that. Uh, what generally, how many hit points do they have? What general armor class they have? Number of attacks that they have? The attack bonus that they have? And the amount of damage they do? What their high stat is like and what their low stat is like? And that was really handy. I ended up not even needing this. That I could mostly make it up. A lot of times I would just, again, I would reskin a monster from Shadow Dark and that worked just fine. But if you find a particular monster and you don't have 
uh, a stat block. You don't know what stat block you would even reskin, and you just want some general stats for a particular kind of monster. You could go to that line and see what they've got in there, and you're ready to go. So a little Forge of Foes-like reference. Again, this is available on the Shutterdark Ravenloft reference sheet, which is part of that lazy GM Shutterdark Ravenloft package that you get as a patron of Sly Flourish. Another, so I also included the 10 pre-gen characters that, that I generated for this game using the Shadow Darklings. I have my Shadows of Ravenloft one-pager. I actually mailed this out to all of the players ahead of time, so they had an idea of what was going on. When I talked about what makes Shadow Dark different from 5th edition, I have that in here. I, I have a link to the Quick Start Guide, which is free for them to download, so they can download the Quick Start Guide, read through it, get an idea of how Shadow Dark works. I mentioned the pre-gen characters. I have my content lines and veils that I do for all my campaigns. What are the things that we are going to have? What are the things that we're not going to have? And then pause for a minute at any point anybody can pause and say hey i either don't can we move away from this topic i don't really like it or hey and we used it in the game which was pause for a minute are all of you guys good going down those stairs or did you want to go somewhere else you probably all want to stick together and then they outside of the characters they would explain what they wanted to do and then they go back in game and that's the way it would go it worked really really well so that's a one pager the word version and the pdf version are available in the in the packet so we use all that. Again, if you're a patron of Sly Flourish, you go to your exclusive content for Sly Flourish patrons. You go down to the guides and source books section, and there's a Shadow Dark Ravenloft Lazy GM kit, kit. Big zip file. You download it. It has all that stuff in it. So I ran my Shadow Dark Ravenloft game in person, and we used that sort of ad hoc map. If you're running it online, I would highly recommend using Albert Rodeo. I love Albert Rodeo. And you can get all of the Ravenloft top view maps available from the DMs Guild, from Venetus Maps. It's $10 on the DMs Guild. You can find a link in the show notes. Uh, those maps work very, very well. It's very easy to set up in a lightweight virtual tabletop like Albert Rodeo, and that can work just fine with Fog of War, showing what rooms are going into and everything like that. So if you're playing online, that might be easier than trying to do any kind of in-person mapping or anything like that. You could even do what I did in my regular Shadow Dark games, which is instead of revealing all of the rooms as they explore them, 30 foot that's locked to one of the tokens, and as they move, that's what they see. And they would have to still keep track of drawing like what was behind us. That would actually work really well for this, so that you don't even have to uncover the whole map as they're exploring. Instead, they only have the light around them that they're able to see. That, that's a, a trick with Albert Rodia that I've started using that I really like. If you're looking for other interesting ways to run Ravenloft for a one-shot game, I have a running Ravenloft Curse of Strahd in a single session article that I've been doing that was written around for 5th edition, but a lot of the ideas from here you could easily do with the Shadow Dark one as well, like changing who the protagonist is, who the antagonist is, who the fortune teller is. What if Strahd is the fortune teller, Irina is the vampire, and the or her brother is the one that you're trying to rescue. You know, there's lots of ways to kind of shake up this adventure, still run it the same way, but have lots of fun with it. Uh, you know, the, the hunted, the seer, and the devil. What if it, what if, you know, Baba, Baba Letsaga, Baba Yaga is the hag queen of Barovia, and she's the one you're going after. She are, she killed Strahd long ago. So you can decide who's the protagonist, who's the hunted, who's the seer, and who's the devil, and, and change up Ravenloft. How to run it with Irina as the character, making sure you have the bonds, the intro, a lot of the stuff that's in here is there. Also, how to change the fortunes from Curse of Strahd to better support a single session game. That's all in this article as well. So you can find all of that. That article is in the show notes as well. That's if you're running Ravenloft with other systems, Ravenloft with fifth edition, things like that. Boy, did I have fun running Ravenloft with Shadow Dark. Again, 
the main point I'd like you to walk away with is that the Shadow Dark RPG really fit the style, the theme, the atmosphere, and the feeling that Castle Ravenloft has. And it was extremely easy to match up these two products, the original 1983 version of i6 Ravenloft with the Shadow Dark RPG. My players loved it. I loved it. We had a really great time. It was a barrel of laughs. It was, it was just a really, really awesome time. So if you have the opportunity, if it's something you're interested in doing, I think it's a fantastic way to really be a shining star being a really fun moment of this wonderful hobby that we all enjoy i hope you enjoyed this video if you did please consider subscribing to the sly flourish newsletter to get more information like this you get a free adventure generator pdf and a weekly rpg related email sent directly to your inbox it's absolutely free to sign up it gives you sort of a single pillar where you can find all of the different work i do what videos i've done what podcasts i do what other articles i've written all of those are in those weekly articles that go out every week you can also join my patreon patrons it's very low price to join the patreon and you get access to tons of stuff this ravenloft thing is just one example of some of the things you get you get tons and tons of different things for being a patron of Flourish. it's a really good deal and the patrons help me put on shows like this and help support all the rest of the work that i do and you can pick up any of my books including return of the lazy dungeon master the lazy dms workbook and the lazy dms companion plus all of my fantastic books fantastic adventures fantastic locations fantastic layers runes of the grander root lots of different things you can find on the sly Flourish bookstore links for all that in their show notes thank you all so much have a great day and get out there and play some ravenloft using the shadow dark rpg